the scriptures um, teach us how to walk with God. Uh, so the s- scriptures are at the very center of our Christian experience and what it means uh, for us uh, to walk with Christ. And so this summer we've given you something uh, very practical to keep you grounded in the scriptures. And we have a reading plan that has five chapters. Uh, you can take five days and I would encourage you to uh, take another day and um, you can look at your life group lesson um, and then there's a free day in there somehow if you miss a day or something happens. But encourage you, journal. Um, we've given you the acrostic space, which gives you just maybe a framework of how to apply that chapter and you pray and you ask God to speak to you and you write down you know, the space is a sin to confess, a promise to claim, uh, an attitude to change, a command to obey, or an example to follow. And just, you pray, and you read that chapter, and you say, how would God speak to my life? And we believe it's a very practical way to keep us grounded this summer, in this season of our year, uh, in the Word. And that's something we want you to develop in the days ahead. And Uh, During our sermon time, we're talking about living in the light, and we will tie in some of those chapters and some of those scriptures uh, to talk about simply how does God's Word shed light on our lives? How how does the scripture shed light on our lives? Uh, Last Sunday, we looked at a very dramatic occasion of God speaking to an individual, King David, uh, during the time of his sin with Bathsheba and his being guilty of murder and having her husband Uriah the Hittite killed. We saw Nathan the prophet speak uh, God's word to him and how David, a man after God's own heart, responded. Man after God's own heart. Not a perfect man, but a man who desires to have a relational connection with God more than anything else. And so if there's anything that God identifies that is a hindrance to that, then the man after God's own heart says, I confess that, and that God in that moment forgave even though there were earthly human consequences to that. Um, There was something about that story, though, that we didn't have time for. Uh, there's something that I believe precedes that story in David's life. Uh, I believe there is something that is deeper in that story that I want to take a verse of Scripture and I want, I want to trace that out uh, this morning. So before David commits adultery, with Bathsheba. Before David engineers the murder of her husband, before Nathan the prophet confronts David, I think there was something that preceded that that led to that. And I can't necessarily prove this, but from David's own words in Psalm 51, I believe it is, it is evident And here it is, before any of those outward sins, David's heart had strayed. And I want you to hear that this morning, that 
David's heart strayed before his life did. I want you to think about that. I, I, I believe that's true for us too. Before kind of some of the, the visual uh, outward things surface, there is something that has happened in our hearts, and I believe it's, it's very significant uh, that we understand that I believe it's also true in our lives that our heart will stray before our life will. David talks about this in his prayer of confession in Psalm 51. And I know we, I read that last week, but didn't really get to, to dive into that. But he begins to talk about what's inside. And in fact, it, the significance of what David prays is, is God... What he's really saying is it's not about the outward things. It's about, God, the condition of my heart. And so there's, there's these little glimpses that David begins to say that, that I think shows that it was his heart, not only that had strayed before his life did, but ultimately it was his it was heart that God needed to change. And so in Psalm 51, and this isn't on the screen, but just listen. In verse 6, he says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. And then in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. In verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. More than dealing with, with our outward sin, uh, we have to deal with what's on the inside. The truth for today is that the scriptures have the power to shed light on our innermost being. The scriptures have the power to shed light on our innermost being. When we, on a daily basis, come to the Scripture and ask God to share, shed His light on our lives, what I want you to understand today, it's, it's not just the outward. It's not like, well, God, identify those outward sins that maybe everybody could see. I want you to know there's something deeper wasn't just true for David it's true for us today that God there is something in my innermost being that needs to be identified and what I want you to understand today is that God's the scriptures have the power to shed light in the deepest darkest parts of our innermost being uh, there's one verse of scripture I want to share this morning, and it's in Hebrews 4.12. Not that I'm not going to allude to 12 other ones, but this is, our own, this is my text, as we would say. In Hebrews 4.12, the writer of Hebrews says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner 
of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, anytime I, I take one verse of Scripture, my fear is that somehow, wait a second, if, if I just take an isolated verse of Scripture, God, have I violated the spirit of this verse? What is the, so I, I, I got to looking at the context. And the writer of Hebrews, in the chapter or so leading up to this, quotes an Old Testament passage at Psalm 95, 7 and 8. And he quotes it three times. And so as I began to look at this, I thought, wait a second, this obviously becomes the dominant theme. And it, it's this verse you can, if you, if you have your Bible, this isn't going to be on the screen, but in, in Hebrews 3, 7, he says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and here's the quote, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. So this is a, a psalm that is speaking about their time in the wilderness where some had a heart of disobedience and they failed to enter into the rest that God had for them. And that's actually the context. But it was interesting to me that he not only quotes it there, but you come down to verse 15, he quotes it again. This must be significant. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. Chapter 4, verse 7. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Uh, the writer of Hebrews is focusing on their inner lives and whether they would believe or they would disbelieve. Now, when you understand that, and I don't have time to trace out all the context for verse 12, but that sets the context for what he says. His concern is that they are not going to enter the rest because within their hearts, when they heard his voice, they hardened their hearts, and they were rebellious uh, during their day of trial. And so he says, 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Actually, when you read this verse in the original, in the Greek, the first word in that sentence, which is it's put there for emphasis, is the word living. So literally the Greek says, living is the Word of God and powerful or active. And it goes on from there. And anytime the Greek kind of puts it in different order, it is, it is highlighting that, it's emphasizing that. The emphasis of that verse is that the Word of God is living. It is not a dead document. We're, we're going to build on this truth in the next few moments. Um, this is not a dead book. This is not, this is not Shakespeare. It is not, I'm just trying to think of some other greats of literature that I've read, but it's been a few years. Anyhow, it's not Shakespeare, okay? Or any other secular book that I should have read, you know. This book claims of itself that it is living. It is a living document. In fact, I would say when you encounter the words in this book, you encounter the author of this book, 
God. An encounter with the scriptures is an encounter with the living God. It is not a dead document. It is not, uh, I, I want to get past this, and this is my concern when we, we have you read the Bible and say, let it speak to you, that my concern is that somehow we would just take it at, at the surface level and uh, we, would, we would condense down our walking with God to some rules or some principles. I want you to know that this book is more than just principles, rules to live by. It is a living document and it is ultimately an encounter with the living God. And the reason that is true, the reason that it is living is because it is infused with the Holy Spirit. The verse I quoted last week and may quote every week. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, for all Scripture, and our English says, I'm sorry, I have to start over if I ever, you know, I got this memorized, so I can't pick it up mid-sentence. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. But when you study that, uh, that, that's an English translation, but literally what the Greek says all Scripture is, and it has this phrase, God-breathed. God-breathed. What I want you to get is the reason this book is living is because God, it comes from God, and God breathed life into it. God, all Scripture is God-breathed. It is, not, it is not a book of just static, objective principles in which we are to live by. It is an encounter with God Himself. Now, we build on that, and the writer of Hebrews builds on that, for the Word of God is living and powerful. Uh, seems like, in certain translations, I don't know if it's NIV or what, this word is, it says active. I don't know, your translation, I don't know. I know I've been here like 22 years, and so all of y'all bought New King James Version of the Bible. It's like, well, Brother Darrell, we haven't had that new NIV for three decades now, okay, because you made us change. Sorry. That was my little voice. I don't know where that voice is coming from. Um, it seems like some of the English translations says that the Word of God uh, is living and active. Uh, literally, that Greek word there is the word that we get for energy. Uh, and so it's a word, yes, the English translation, yes, it is powerful. It has power. Uh, it is energized. It is energy. Uh, literally, the, the, the base of that Greek word means it is working. And so literally this word in the Greek means working in. In working, sort of, but in that reverse order. Um, so, and that's something significant. And it actually begins to build on that one phrase that the Word of God is living. It's not just that it's living. It is actively engaged with God's work in my life. Do you understand? So it's one thing to say this document is living. It's another thing to say that it is actively engaging me with an encounter with God. It is, it is energized, yes, by the Spirit of God, but it is, it is powerful. That's why kind of my, my truth for the day that the Scriptures have power to shed light on our innermost being. It is actively engaging me. It is God's work in my life and what God is doing in his scripture goes back to that first word 
God's word is designed to bring us life. So kind of the interesting thing when you say that the word of God is living, it's not only is it saying that uh, it is infused with God's life on the God side, but on our side, what does God's word do? It brings us life. Well, obviously because it's infused with life, but that is what God is actively, powerfully energizing his work to be working in us. It is living and powerful. It is active. God is bringing life to us. That's what God's word does. Let me illustrate this from the scripture. Uh, Genesis chapter two. God forms the man of the dust of the earth. Right? Dust of the earth. From dust we've come to dust we will return. He forms the first man out of the dust of the earth. And then the scripture says, remember, God breathed into him the breath of life. And you remember what it says? Genesis 2, 7. And he became a living being. What was Adam before that? He was just, he was a corpse. He was a body. It was the breath of life that was breathed into an inanimate object that made him a living being. Uh, Ezekiel 37, Brother Shane, and it came up in our, one of our songs this morning. Uh, Ezekiel 37, the vision of the valley of dry bones. I don't have time to camp out there this morning. There's, that's a whole sermon. Uh, the, the prophet, I'm trying to put this down. Ezekiel 37, uh, the valley of dry bones. Um, uh, God brings the prophet Ezekiel to this valley. It's filled with bones. Preach to these. And there is this scene, you can read it, but the bones come together and there is this pause in the story. And then God says, now, call to the breath to come. Remember? And all of a sudden, those corpses of bones and sinew and everything that had been put together, but they're not living because this, the breath had not in, was not in them. But when he calls for the winds or the breath to come, they feel them and they become a living army. Um, Peter in 1 Peter 2 verse 5 describes us as Christians as living stones. Of course, Peter's name is Petros, stone. So it's a play on that. But a stone is an inanimate object. But the point that Peter makes and the gospel makes is that when God breathes on that which is inanimate, it becomes a living being. And so you can describe stones as living stones because God has breathed his life. That is the power, that is the activity, that is the energy, that is what God is working. He brings life to us, understand this, all of those stories, God brings life to us. He, God brings life to deadness. God brings life to deadness. And understand that we as Christians are alive in Christ, but I would contend there are areas of our life that have experienced death and that when we encounter God's word, it has the power to take that which is dead, even in the life of the Christian, and make it alive.
by animating it, infusing it with his spirit. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. This is kind of an interesting visual. In fact, we're in Revelation uh, in our life groups next Sunday for the church. Uh, well, it goes back to the vision that John has of, of Jesus in Revelation 1. And when he sees Jesus, there's a lot of descriptive phrases, but one of them is he has a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Next week's church that we'll look at in the seven churches, Jesus describes himself. It's double-edged, uh, which makes it uh, all the more powerful to penetrate. Um, and that's, that's the point of this. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. Uh, that is a way to describe that God's Word has the power to penetrate into the very depths of our being. I could, we could kind of unpack that, but it's just... Trust me on this one, okay? What he is describing is that the Word of God, what's the point? It doesn't just deal with our surface. No, it penetrates even to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, to the very core of our being. That is very significant. And in fact, think about what we've built on. The Word of God is living. It is powerful. But for God to do his work, it has to penetrate beyond the surface to the very core of our being because that's ultimately what has to change. And ultimately, I would say this this summer as we uh, just ask God's word to engage us and shed light on our life. Ultimately, I'm saying this to you. You can't just deal with the surface issues of your life. God's word has to penetrate to the very depths of your life. Uh, and he does that through his spirit. Uh, uh, in Ephesians 6, when it describes the armor of God, uh, it talks, remember it talks about the sword of the spirit. I think this is Ephesians maybe 6, 17. The sword of the spirit which is the Word of God. Isn't that interesting? That sword and word are connected, but it's the sword of the Spirit. I want you to understand this, and this is what this verse is teaching, is that when, and I've said this, when I engage God's Word, it becomes an encounter with God Himself because it is infused with the Spirit of God. And God's Spirit, God will take His words through His Spirit and He will take them and He will penetrate into the very core of our being. I'm working on this sermon and I'm going through my five scriptures this week and there was one day God just went beyond the surface and He said, no, we need to deal with this. And I'm telling you that not only 
uh, we talked about this, there, not only is there a relational dimension to our encounter with the Scriptures, but there is a personal, personal dimension or dynamic when we encounter God's Word. What I'm saying to you is God speaks to us personally. And when He does, He doesn't just deal with the surface issues. He deals with the, the issues that are at the very core of our being. And so His final statement is that the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word discerner is also the word for judge. When God penetrates to the very core of our being, He sheds light in the darkest parts of our life that I don't even think we understand what they are. I don't think David did. I, this is what I described last week, this is that David lived in the shadow of self-deception. Until God's word penetrated to the very core, God didn't deal with David just about adultery and murder. And I, I know that's, that's really bad. I mean, I know adultery and murder are bad. But God said there's something even deeper. And when David writes Psalm 51, it was God created me a clean heart. God, don't let me just clean up my actions. Do you know why? Because the scripture says that our actions emanate from our hearts. And so Proverbs 4.23, Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. That's, that's a loose translation. I don't know if I'm real accurate on that. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. What I, want you, what I want to communicate today from Hebrews 4.12 is that when you engage God's Word, don't engage it, don't, don't, don't stop at the surface issues because God's Word is living and powerful and sharper and is a judge or a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That word, that phrase, thoughts and intents, encompasses, get this, our feelings, our thoughts, our motivations, our desires, our attitudes. Thoughts and intents, as described here, encompass all of that is, which is in the very depths of us, our feelings, our thoughts, our motivations, our desires, our attitudes. Because ultimately, if we're going to walk with God, it's not just about the things we do. It's about who we are. And that's why David prayed, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You see, the problem is much deeper than our outward actions. The issues of life come from the heart. And to walk with God, we must deal with those issues. Um, Jesus, 
This is what Jesus dealt with. It was the message that Jesus brought. The Pharisees, the premier religious people of his day, it was about the surface of what they did and to be seen of men and what they did on the outside and outward observance to the law. And when Jesus comes, he just he comes with this counter message that says, no, no, it's much deeper than that. It's about the heart. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes this just audacious statement that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not see the kingdom of heaven. <gasps> exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. How would that be possible? Because they lived on the surface. And so he, he goes through these things and he says, you know, uh, you say the law says you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you are angry at your brother in your heart, you've already violated that. Understand? Don't do the outward act. It's what your religious leaders tell you. Jesus said, no, it's deeper. It's about the anger that's inside of you. And if you don't deal with that, ultimately it's going to come out. His next illustration was about adultery. You've heard, do not commit adultery, an outward act. Jesus said, if you lust after a woman with your eyes and your heart, you've already violated that commandment. And, well, that's, that's where David was. That's how we know David's heart had strayed. Because when he saw Bathsheba and the eyes of the window into the soul, what he discovered on the inside was lust in the hearts. And it led to actions. But if you don't, deal with the heart issues and you just deal with the surface it won't be enough let me close with this the scriptures have the power to shed light on my innermost being the scriptures have the power to shed light on my innermost being. And God will do that. Here's the beauty of it. Is that when God's word penetrates into the very deepest part of my life, it not only exposes it. Here it is. Then God has the opportunity to transform it. That, that's the punchline of the story of David. Nathan's word penetrated into David's heart and showed David what was there. God through his spirit did. And then David was able to deal with that. God's word doesn't just expose what's on the inside. But once it has shed light on it, then it empowers through his spirit to transform that in our life and when our hearts come to that place then we're able to walk with God at a different level than just the surface amen amen, amen. Um, won't you stand I'm gonna close in prayer Hey, before I pray, just a couple things. We are thanking Jesus 
this week that uh, the Stacy family has moved to Huntington. They had, oh my, they had some obstacles to overcome with their house and closing and all those things, but um, closed on Thursday, Friday, and uh, closed on Wednesday maybe, moved in Thursday, Friday, and they're here, and of course, Will leaves town as soon as he moves here. But anyhow, that's neither here nor there. Um, but we're, we're thankful for that. Hey, tonight I have an uh, informational meeting for Holy Land trip, which will be in November. That'll be in the conference room, 6 o'clock tonight. Uh, be in prayer for Kevin Burnett's family. His father passed away, and that funeral service is today at 3 Trinity Baptist Church. Uh, food pantries tomorrow are uh, produce day. Uh, next Sunday we start VBS. If you need to sign up as a worker, there's sheets. Aaron's gone this weekend, but you can sign up or just talk with me. I'm going to be at the front as you want somebody to pray with you. If you need to make a decision, uh, I'll be at the front. Let me lead us in prayer today. Thank you. Father, today we um, thank you that your word is living and powerful and penetrates into the very core of our being. And so, Father, we pray that we would open up our lives.